Welcome, welcome, welcome to everybody's favorite cinema podcast, Looking California, Film, Minnesota. My name is Mike McCaffrey. I'm the Looking California portion of the program. I'm a writer and acting coach in sunny Southern California, and I'm joined by somebody who's feeling very Minnesota. His name is Barry Anderson, two S's. Barry, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm a director based in the uh, in the Midwest, or as we like to call it, Canada Light. Um, we are here with a a, a heat wave here uh, post Christmas. We're up to I think 21 degrees, so it's been a 37 degrees uh, swing here in the last couple of days. So it's quite quite nice. Tomorrow will be almost 40, so we'll probably be out in shorts and t-shirts running around. So this is why people uh, make fun of us here in uh, in the Great White North. But uh, I think it's where we get some of our great ideas. <laughs> borderline crazy borderline uh whatever but it comes out creatively one way or another yes it does and today speaking of creativity we're going to be talking about a movie because that's what we do is a movie podcast you know we're we're people who talk about movies today we're going to talk about ryan johnson's new movie it's the i guess it's a sequel or it's not yeah well glass onion a knives out mystery which of course the original glass onion came out in i mean the original knives out came out in 2019 and did incredibly well that movie was i'm looking at its box office numbers now that a budget of 40 million dollars made 312 million <laughs> that's the way to do it and because of that ryan johnson signed a two-picture deal um i think it was for like 400 million dollars with netflix and this is the first picture of that deal. It's, he's going to be making another Knives Out movie, probably more after that. And Glass Onion is, it was in theaters briefly, came out December, November 23rd in theaters, and then in on Netflix, December 23rd. It runs 139 minutes. It uh, has a budget of $40 million again. Did pretty well at the box office, considering it was in for like a week, made 15 million bucks. It is apparently the most watched thing on Netflix ever or something. The film result revolves around uh, Benoit Blanc, who is played by Daniel Craig. Now, Benoit is a is the world's greatest detective. <laughs> and uh, there's a murder mystery in this movie. And there's a bunch of people in it. Here's the cast. Edward Norton, Janelle Monet, Catherine Hahn, Leslie Odom Jr., um, Kate Hudson, Dave Bautista bunch of famous people and they all go to this island this greek island owned by miles braun now miles braun played by um edward norton miles braun is sort of like an elon musk guy he's like this tech billionaire and he owns this big island with like this fancy new wave uh mansion on it it's very crazy um and all the people around him are these sycophants who sort of have made a name for themselves because of his success. So there, Catherine Hahn plays Claire. She's the governor of Connecticut. She's running for the Senate. Leslie Odom Jr. plays Lionel. He's uh, the head scientist for, for Miles' company. Um, Kate Hudson is Birdie. She's a former model, and she's like this politically incorrect fashion designer lady Dave Bautista, Bautista plays Duke Cody who's a video game streamer and a men's rights activist sort of like uh Andrew Tate who's this sort of uh lightning rod du jour uh, on the internet so those are the people that come to this uh 
Island under the guise of going to a murder mystery dinner party. But then things happen. Benoit Blanc, or as I like to call him, Benoit Balls, is there. <laughs> and and uh, murder mystery things ensue. That's my spoiler-free synopsis. We will probably get into spoilers in this. I can't imagine we wouldn't. It would seem impossible to talk about without it. But before we do that, Barry Anderson, you saw Glass Onion. Why don't you tell us first what you thought of Knives Out, the original? And then why don't you tell us your thoughts on Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery? I think we actually potted about Knives Out. So people want to know in depth what we thought. They can go back and, and watch that. I'm pretty sure that's one of our early, early, uh, early. I have to look that up. I, I have to be honest. I don't remember that at all. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure we did. Pretty sure we did. Let's uh, see. I don't think we did. What? No, we didn't do knives out. Didn't? Oh no. All right. Well, we talked about it. We just didn't record it then. <laughs> yeah, we talked a lot about it. <laughs> um, I there are certain movies that come around, and you know, the general public falls in love with and I find myself perplexed by, i.e. Austin Powers. I remember sitting in the theater and I love comedies and everybody was laughing and I'm looking around being like, what am, what am I missing? Like, what what am I not getting in this movie <laughs> that other people are? Right. So watching Knives Out was a similar experience in so much that they had some really great actors in the movie, but the movie was so... I don't even know what word I would use to describe it. It is like, it's like a, like there are movies that are like have depth and nuance and interest and you're trying to like dig in. And then there are movies that literally are paint by number with no subtext, no nothing. And this movie was empty calories. And I'm just like, man, I feel like you could have done something here, but it was just sickeningly simplistic and like dumb. And so I can understand like a good, you know, Something like, you know, there's there's a reason that like the Ocean's Eleven's movies did well, and things like you know the 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 Italian Job and some of the Fast and the Furious. People love like heists and all that sort of stuff. So it it there if you can kind of trick people, and they don't see the twists coming, people fall in love with you. And I think that was the biggest success of Knives Out, is that for most people they didn't see kind of the twist and how it's going to connect together, and so they just liked it. But as a movie. It was bad. So yeah. when I heard that he had signed a $400 million deal or whatever to make more of these, I was like, well, they're probably financially going to do well, but I can't possibly see this turning into like a surprise, like, oh, wow, now it's a good movie. And in watching this movie, it is a sequel or a spinoff or just with a character that was in the first one, but it's not really, you know, connected. This movie has a different kind of tone or I guess a different way it tells the story. It's not quite mm -hmm. like a traditional murder mystery. Right. But the same pathetic, simplistic, over the top, no depth or nuance was like almost worse in this movie. And I liked most of the characters less in this movie. Uh -huh. <laughs> I didn't like the characters in the first movie. And so by the end, you're supposed to get to this big, like, yeah, like, good. We stuck it to someone. And I'm just like, 
just burn the island down. Like there's no, there's nobody of value in this movie on any level. And so I don't, I don't, this movie clearly isn't made for me because I don't get it. I thought, I thought whatever the runtime was two and a half hours was some of the longest I've ever sat there going, please make this end now. And like you take actors that I think have done great performances and just, I wonder what they were thinking. You know, someone like, you know, I've seen um, Kate Hudson do some decent work. There's no way she watches this movie and goes like, yeah, I really like how this turned out. Like, I'm really pleased with this work. And Batista, by and large, I don't like. I thought he was great in the latest uh, uh, Blade Runner. I thought that opening scene mm. with him was quite yeah. powerful and I liked it. This movie, I was like, this is, he's, he's a glorified C-level actor with no skill set whatsoever. Um, I just, I don't, I don't get it. I just don't, I don't get the movie. I don't, I don't understand why people get sucked up, get sucked in and what they're watching that is enjoyable because I, I did not find that to be the case for me. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I did not like the first film and I, I went into it. I saw it in the theater and had really, I, I wrote about this actually, my experience of seeing it. I had a, a very small window to go see a movie and like the choices I had to see. Um, there were two movies that fit into my timeline. One was, was it Honey? That Shia LaBeouf movie? Oh, yep. Honey, yes. uh, Honey Boy. Honey Boy. Yeah. So Honey, I that. think, was a Mariah Carey movie. Um, <laughs> right, that's true. I would have been better off seeing that. Yeah. So it was between Honey Boy and Knives Out, and I was just, like, tired. It was like, you know what? I don't want to watch some, like, heavy movie about Shia LaBeouf right now. I'll, I'll go watch Knives Out. So I went and saw it. I didn't know anything about it. And um, it was a weird experience because it, I had this moment watching it where it just sort of hit me all of a sudden of why... I mean, I didn't like the movie, but why I sort of found it repulsive. Into it too, too much, but um, there was this, the politics of the movie were really sort of repugnant to me. And it was really this, the racial politics of it, because the way it's set up is like, all the white people are terrible and every everybody who isn't white besides Benoit Blanc, even he has flaw, many flaws in, in the first movie. But it was just like really, I just thought it was gross and that if it were like flipped and were some other minority group, it would be equally repulsive, but there would be much more people who would say so. Anyway, my review of Knives Out, <laughs> here, here's a clip from it. This is a quote. Um, quote, is poorly constructed, abysmally executed, politically trite, culturally culturally patronizing, profoundly racist, and exceedingly dull and predictable. I feel the same way about this movie. (laughs) (laughs) There was not not a lot of growth. No, in fact, it did. You're right. It actually got worse. Yeah. And like the first one, like murder mysteries are not my thing. I don't hate them. Like I, I like like really well executed ones, um, but I just, I didn't think it was well done. I, I just, there were a lot of problems with it. That, but this one, 
um, Glass Onion, it's sort of shocking how incompetent the writing and directing in this are. Now, look, the performances suck. Like Daniel Craig, unlike you, I like Daniel Craig as James Bond. I like him. You're, you're, so- you're blatantly wrong, but that's okay. Carry on. <laughs> right? Well, we, we, I blatantly wrong. He is so dreadful as his Benoit Blanc, who's like Foghorn Leghorn, who's going to solve this crime. And it's like, what are we doing? So this this is my this is my assumption. One of my favorite murder mystery movies is the original Clue with uh, uh, what's his face? Uh, Tim uh, with who? Isn't Superman in that? No, not Christopher Reeve. Um, What am I thinking? Tim, uh, who is in Rocky Horror Picture Picture Show? Oh, Tim, uh, Tim, what's his name? We're, we're great at this. Oh man, my brain just—I <laughs> can see, I can see his face, I can see his performance. Uh, I'm looking it up right Tim now. Curry, oh, Tim, Tim Curry, Tim Curry, Tim Curry. There we go. And that movie, <laughs> that movie has a playfulness. It has a silliness, and to some extent, they're very. Uh, what would you call it? Um, it's a very typecast, you know, this is this, you know, this is the type of sexual person. This is the lawyer, you know, it's, it, they're very cookie cutter. They're not very deep, but somehow the movie takes you on a journey and somehow the over the top silliness, you know, the French maid that's dancing around and basically some sort of like, you know, cosplay costume, you know, it, it adds humor to it without ever going over and I think he's trying to find that balance in a modern that this is supposed to be kind of silly, lighthearted. We want to take, you know, cookie cutter type pieces. And he's he's choosing to kind of, you know, touch on things, like you said, like the cultural politics of the day. Who are the people that were, you know, someone wants to speak their mind, a.k.a. they're racist. You know, that's, you know, uh, um, uh, Kate Hudson's character, you know, the yeah. male rights activist. That's the, you know, Andrew Tate sort of guy. And so he finds those, which in and of their nature isn't necessarily bad if that's what you're going for. But what that does, unlike the original, the original made it like accessible to all, like everybody knows like a shyster lawyer and you know, whatever side you're on. And so I think sometimes when you make these movies that are broader based and then you kind of slice them down, it can be dangerous. But to me, it wasn't interesting. Like, like just watching. I mean, I always am trying to think about, as we see the movie unfold, where are decisions being made? Because you like in, in the original clue, you didn't know what people's motives were, but as you yes. started to find out more, you're like, Oh, I could see how that person would want to do that or what they'd be protecting or whatever. In this movie, they just unlayered things, but you were never like, well, I don't know if they would ever do anything about that. And so there was never, you never got to the point of like where these people might have it within them to do like great harm or evil. And so it was just there. It, it, it. I guess the best I could uh, um, allay it to is like when we talk about Marvel movies or superhero movies that there's no stakes. You know, the superhero can't die. None of these people had stakes of which were set up in a way where you thought, "Oh, I thought they were this way, but maybe there's that dark underbelly." It was just all so superficial that you just waited for like the punchline. Like you never got sucked into like, ooh, what's going to go on? And you just, you were very passive when watching the movie. Well, here's the thing that really stood out to me about this film. Um, It's actually quite insulting to the audience on numerous fronts. 
first of all, yes, the characters are caricatures, right? So the the Andrew Tate caricature, who, of course, Andrew Tate is a caricature in and of himself. Correct. And this is a character of that character. Same with the Birdie character, the the sort of influencer and and even the Miles Braun character as like the tech guy, et cetera, et cetera. Catherine Hahn, who plays the governor of Connecticut, she's not just the governor of Connecticut. She's the stay at home mom governor of Connecticut. You know, so it's like, oh, let's put as many sort of empty sort of bumper stickers on these characters so you'll know who they are so we don't have to have to actually write a multi-dimensional human being and that's insulting but you know you get used to that in whatever you know whether it's a marvel movie or or something like this but what's really insulting is the structure of this film is such and this is not true by the way of of the first film as far as i can remember which I have tried to forget. This film never gives the audience a character that they can latch onto and through whom they see the perspective of things. And usually in a murder mystery, um, that person is gonna be the detective or the protagonist, whatever. And you sort of learn information along with them and so you're processing, you're trying to solve the crime as well when they are. Maybe you'll do it before them and feel good about yourself. Maybe it'll be revealed to you and it'll be a cool surprise. But that's the idea. What this film does, and we're going to get into spoilers now. So if you want to see Glass Onion without the spoilers, turn this off now. Go watch the movie. Do your thing. But we're going spoilers from here on out. So the first half of the movie introduces the film and the characters and the setting and the whole thing and you go along with it and generally who you attach yourself to is either going to be Benoit Blanc or uh, this woman Cassandra played by Janelle Monet. midway through the movie the movie goes nope we've been lying to you for this first half of the movie now we're going to reveal to you things that every character that matters in this film already knows. You are constantly left out of the loop. We don't care what you think. And you, you have, there's never a point in this movie where you have a perspective that is isolated where like, okay, I, I know I don't know enough, but the people I'm watching don't know enough either. And we're learning these things together. And then to add on top of that, which really is insulting an audience. It really is. The other part that is so insulting is this is based on a reality, right? You're in a world that exists. This is not some fantasy world. This is not Fantasy Island. It's not Star Wars. It's not whatever. But again, even in the second half of the film, they pull the rug out from under you and not in a way that's like to shock you, but to undermine the reality that you're seeing. To say that like, no, no, no. We don't live in an actual real world here. This is pretend. So when Janelle Monet's Cassandra, Helen, whatever her, her name is at this point, she gets shot. And we see this. And then it changes. Oh no, she actually had a book in her chest pocket and it stopped the bullet, which by the way, 
no bullet in the history of gunfire is going to be stopped by fucking book right especially when the shot is literally from less than 25 feet away i mean what are we doing are you throwing that bullet what is happening and then you know the hot sauce thing and and it's just like what are we doing and so it's it's there's never a chance for you to really genuinely get sucked in because the way the movie's structured it's structured to keep you at arm's length at a distance and then i knew what was happening literally in the first 15 minutes of the movie i'm like oh okay i know this because of ryan johnson's sort of political bent in his movies i know who the bad guy is i know somehow i didn't know the details but i knew somehow he was going to be the bad guy we know who it is it's elon musk right he's the bad guy not only is is he a bad guy he's a con artist he's a fraud he's actually not a genius you know who the genius is barry the woman the woman, the black woman, by the way, and all the other minorities and all the white women side with her. Eventually, not at first, eventually well, they side with her against yeah, we, the we, bad we, tech guru. We could talk about that, but let's go, go back to the structure. So I'm going to go back to the Ocean's Eleven movies, which I'm not a huge fan of. The parts I like is they have like one of the greatest casts, like yep. having Carl Reiner and stuff in the movie that's way better for me than having George Clooney in the movie. But I don't remember. I think it was the third one. Yes. The second or third one. I'm like watching you got, you got used to, okay, here's what it is. They're going to double cross, double cross. And there's like a secret. And they're like, they thought, and I remember in one of the movies I'm watching it. And at the end, you're like, wait a minute. They stole everything before the movie started. So it's just like a dog and pony show, but like it never happened. And you're like, now you just cheated me like you literally like took me on the ride of this is how we did it but by the way none of that was necessary because we actually stole it before the movie started and you're like well that that's cheating that's like a magician on stage being like i'm gonna make the eiffel tower disappear and then it like disappears like oh that's cool like there was never an eiffel tower to begin with and you're like what it's like it just it confuses what the story is of what they're trying to tell you and in this movie when it pivoted and kind of had that whole like bait and switch and you're like oh this is the sister, not her. Right. You you immediately are like, okay, I'm not, you don't want me a part of this story. You're right. just at various times, you're going to get your megaphone, scream at me, tell me to shut up, watch for a little bit. Then I'll pull up my megaphone later and like force action and decisions to happen that I want to happen that the characters would never make happen of their own within the context of this story. And so that's where I feel like you're passive because they never allow you to go through and watch. And we were just talking before we got on this, you know, I had never seen uh, Django Unchained and I've been watching that. And you just, when you see a movie where like there's a scene and something's happening and two characters are staring at each other. And as you're watching them say nothing and you know what's going on, you know exactly what that character's thinking. You know exactly what that character's thinking. And you know, this is going to be a big problem later. I don't know how it's going to play out, but this is going to be an ongoing dance. And I can't wait to see the finale. It gets you invested in your like every scene then between those characters. And that's what this movie should be. You should be like, oh, is that person trying to seduce that person to trick them? Are they teamed up with this person over there? But none of that exists in the movie. It's literally like every time you start to do that, they do something in the film that tells you stop thinking because there are no rules to how this movie is being made. So we're just going to change them on you. So just shut up and just watch us. It's a very much like, 
me. It's like when when I would go to church or you go to like a a concert and instead of them performing and sucking you in, they just keep yelling at you, get up off your feet, stand, clap. And you're like, okay, if you do something cool, like if you get me excited about the music, I'm going to stand up and yes. clap. But if you're kind of just, you know, mailing it in and don't care, I'm just going to sit here being like, all right, you let me know when I'm supposed to like cheer. And this movie never got you sucked in. It's funny. I saw somebody um, having an argument about this movie um, that the, the argument is the same as mine, actually, as me. <laughs> I, was, I was arguing about the movie and the counter argument was because I was saying about the whole um, you know you, you, I thought the movie sucked and they're like why and I said well because you never all of these reveals are just false it's 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 deceptive it's not intriguing you know and you talk about like Soderbergh does that in every movie and I hate it like the, he'll he'll like in in his high flying bird, which is a movie on Netflix that he made a few years ago, he d- he does that again, where like he goes back near the end and shows you a scene that he didn't show you at the beginning, you know, and you're like, oh, but how how clever, you know, it's not clever, it's it's deceptive and it's it's insulting, and the person um, said to me, oh, so the sixth sense, the sixth sense doesn't work, and I said. That's a great example, actually. The reason the sixth sense work works is not because of all these reveals and things that are so earth shattering. It's because we spend the whole movie in the perspective with Bruce Willis's character. That's what makes it work. Yeah, that like he thinks he's going crazy because he's seeing these ghosts with this kid, and it's and the kid's like, "No, hey, this is this is I see dead people." It's like, okay, and you go along with that because that's how the movie's structured. That's why it works. That's why that reveal, and you're just like, whoa. The movie's you know? structured that way, but also it's one reveal that shows you like, oh, if they did four of those in the movie, right? you'd hate the movie. You'd be like, well, this is dumb. Now it's like he's not dead. Now he's back to real life. Oh, oh, that person's now important? Wait, that's not even the person I thought they were? Like, that doesn't work in storytelling. Right. And it's the one reveal that you literally are sitting there. It's the one reveal, and you can go back in your own head having just watched this and go oh whereas this movie they don't have that because there are so many different ones and you're like i i don't care yes this these aren't reveals what they really are is just admissions that we are lying to you this is all a lie i i don't think it's admissions i think what it is is it's lazy writing because they can't come up with the structure to make you guess and then come about they have to literally like, okay, this is a roller coaster. We're going to stop. Let's get off. We're going to go in a car for a bit. Now we're going to get on a rocket ship. And you're like, wait, I thought there's a roller coaster. Like, yeah, we couldn't make the roller coaster interesting enough. So we're going to put you on different things. And you're like, well, that's not what I came out here for. And so by right. the end of it, you're very unsatisfied because of the fact that you never were taken on the journey that you were promised by this movie. And I think that that is its fatal flaw above all else, which there are other things to not like about the movie. But I just, I mean, that pivot in the middle of the movie, I was like, well, this is just dumb. And like, couldn't they have revealed that later? Like, what would it have been like if they didn't reveal that to the end? And that was part of the big thing. Or what happens if like, they never revealed it and it left it ambiguous where you're like, wait a minute, was that her? Was that the sis? You're like, you know I mean? Like put stuff in there where you're like, I don't even know if I know what's happening anymore, but yet there's right. some resolution, but you're still like, oh, 
And then, you know, looking at Benoit and you're like, oh, he knows, but I wish I knew. That's why it's cool. And there's like kind of like some satisfaction, but not 100% clear. But by God, there's no nuance in this. So they would never want to leave you with a, I don't exactly know what happened in this movie. I don't think that's his style. I agree. And it's just, it's so relentlessly stupid and just, just so shallow and so vacuous. And, you know, the crazy part to me, I I just wrote a piece about this. Um, And I should say the first piece I wrote about Knives Out, the original, uh, it was published at RT and, um, I, I don't know this for a fact. I'm pretty sure it's true, though, that that piece was was the biggest seller I had in my time writing there. I mean, I got so much feedback from that. So vitriol, people, just all these ad hominem attacks, all this sort of stuff. But nobody ever refuted my thesis on that piece, which you can go read. It's on my website. Go check it out. Um, but like, this movie, what strikes me about it, as opposed to the first one, what struck me about it was it's really racist undertones. Uh, the racism being anti-white, which you know is not structural racism, it's it's prejudice, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but what struck me about this is the fact that Glass Onion has a 93% critical and a 93% audience score. And it is an actively bad movie. Like actively bad. This is not like just me and you. Let's just like having to stick up our ass about it. It's like, uh, and and like personally, I know people who hated Last Jedi and they hate Ryan Johnson because of that. I'm not one of those people. Like I, I didn't, I wasn't a fan of Last Jedi, but like, I'm not like anti Ryan Johnson guy. Like I, I don't really give a shit about him either way, you know? But this movie, what struck me about it being so well received and so lauded I thought of this movie and I thought of Top Gun Maverick. Another movie that is critics adored, fans loved. It's made, you know, bazillion dollars. It's not a good movie. And the people who love it actually admit that when they tell you how much they love it. They love it because it's so absurd and ridiculous and it's silly. Oh, you know, oh, Cruz is doing this and all. Oh, uh, Daniel Craig, Benoit Blanc, you know, it's so, and it's like, it, it's sort, it, it's like a signpost for our culture and how far it's fallen and how far standards have fallen for whatever it is, whether it's movies, TV, art, literature, music, um, politics, you know, personal sort of standards. And we're supposed to pretend that this thing is good that, and people buy into it. It's like almost like a cult of like, hey, you know what? I know it's silly and it's camp, but like, I love it. <laughs> it's fun, Barry. It's fun. And it's like, no, it's not I think, actually. I think we were watching different movies. I don't, I don't think this movie was fun to watch, but I will I will blame a lot of why movies like this are successful. At partially at Hollywood, partially at the, the feet of fans. The reason that this movie, I think, outperforms what it should in the same way that you know, Top Gun Maverick did is it is if you can if you can kind of shut off some of the undertones of what you know kind of what's there, you know, in terms of what they're trying to kind of convey in terms of like political cultural stuff. This is a light, non-heavy, non-depressing movie. 
And I think so much content is just steeped with like anger, like violence, like sadness, like, you know, complex are people you, that are, are just you talking about content like like this podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I think I think people are so desperate for something that they can, quote unquote, shut their mind off and just enjoy. Mm. And this is that like beer goggles. There is nothing like this out there. And I think that explains why this gets disproportionately well liked and people can't identify why they like it, even if they don't think it's a perfect movie. It's because it's just something they can go watch and enjoy and they don't have to think. And I think when 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 society doesn't have those outlets, it craves them. And, you know, up until now, these movies were never lauded. Like if you made like a, a comedy yeah. movie, like you yeah. were kind of like, well, you're just, you know, we're going to pay for your soul, but you're not an artist. Somehow Ryan's figured out how to become culturally re- relevant and lauded for making what in the past would have just been like, yeah, of course you made those like dumb movies that made money, but they're not real movies. Somehow he's like turned that axiom on its head, which I think is fascinating. But I think that the root of why audiences are responding is because there is no just lighthearted content that you can just watch and i think that's exactly what this is filling i think he miscues it that it's the undertones and the politics or the statements on society is what makes it popular but i do Mm -hmm. not think that's what makes it popular i think it's just the fact it's fun quote unquote fun light and you just don't have to think when you watch it i i totally agree with you and that's what what was interesting about the article i wrote about the first one that got people so i mean people were just freaking about this piece i wrote and I think the reason they had such a, a visceral reaction to my piece was that the piece was about Knives Out and its anti-white racism, which, you know, is obviously going to be a lightning rod for people. But I think what really got people animated was the fact that here was this mindless, seemingly mindless piece of entertainment that was fluff and fun, and blah, blah, blah. And I was pointing out the political subtext to it. And really it was, it was the text. Um, and that sort of shatters the illusion of it. And I think that's true about this movie too, because I think Ryan Johnson, I think you're right. I think he thinks he has to make these stories like that. And, and I think he believes these things as well, but he has to make this sort of self-loathing white man he, he's a self-loathing white man so he has to make this movie about bad white men and but this, this movie was different than the first this one just had everybody being bad well yes but of course the main villain is this elon musk character right. who is not just the villain but like an idiot and a fraud and then once that happens um because dave batista is gone right once that happens everything coalesces between all the minorities the black woman black man white women um they all come together and benoit blanc who as we have new now discover is gay um they all sort of destroy what this edward norton elon musk character has they they literally blow up his entire existence and in the in the process intentionally destroy the mona lisa yeah which you know, is kind of funny because I'm watching that and I'm like, wow, that's a strange thing to celebrate. Because I understand that you hate this guy and he's an evil person and is deserving of punishment, but this is extra ju- judicial. 
right? And yep. it's not just extrajudicial ju punishment of him, it's punishment of a culture, of, of beauty and truth, which is what the Mona Lisa represents, right? It's the, it's, you could argue it's the apex of American, uh, of, of uh, uh, human culture is the creation of this painting, which is, you know, whatever, 400 years old, and people are like, holy shit. And the destroying of it, and it reminded me of like, I remember the Taliban blowing up these Buddhist uh, statues, you know, in, in the uh, early 2000s, and ISIS doing the same thing in Syria, and all these things. I'm like, why is that plot device in there? And it's meant to cheer people. It's like those people who like glue themselves recently to paintings, you know, about climate change. And they're like, oh, I'm going to glue myself to this painting. And I'm like, what that fucking painting ever do to anybody? <laughs> that painting is literally there to show what the human spirit and, and humanity can do. That the, the ultimate, the apex of beauty and truth and all these things. And here we are saying like, oh, no. No, we're going to punish that thing to punish you because you're so evil. We need to destroy beauty in order for you to come down. And it's, I was just, so. I mean, that, that, that plot choice goes right in with the fact that I think most people, when they watch this movie, they feel good with the gang at the end that they got, you know, the, uh, right, Edward the bad guy's guy's character. Yeah. However, if you paid attention to the movie whatsoever, they are all equally loathsome as right, right. the Elon Musk character. And you're like, well, none of these people were, you know, with the exception of the the, the sister, she would be right. the one that I'd argue. And like, yeah, yeah. they, I think they try to keep Benoit Blanc separate, but also, you know, he, he gives you the great speech on like, you know, I'm law and order. This is my jurisdiction. I have to do this. But by the way, wink, wink, I'm going to walk away while you guys burn Rome to the ground and pretend I didn't have a part of it. And you're like, oh, I don't know. If you Literally, here, here's the bomb. Exactly. I'm handing you the bomb. Exactly. So yeah. like at the end, I'm watching all of this. And and then the character, the sister, she's the one that opens up to burn down the moment. Like, so at the end, I'm like, so basically everybody in this movie is a worthless piece of trash. Cool. And the fact that anybody got out makes the world a worse place i'm like this is not a feel-good movie to me this is right? this is like a fatalistic nihilistic like wow nobody learned yep. a lesson nobody grew nobody made a good choice just literally everybody at any moment they decided to be selfish and do what was best for them and never anything about like the broader good so i i, I thought this was a very depressingly sad pathetic pathetic is the best word i don't think i've seen a collection of more pathetic characters in a movie ever than in this movie i mean just utterly sincerely pathetic yeah i think that's that's well said yeah because you're right everybody reveals themselves to be uh disgusting they're just disgusting. horrible people yeah just all horrible people all of them yeah. every single one of them yeah. literally there was nobody nobody was good on any level and i'm like wow what are we cheering for here even Benoit Blanc, the world's greatest detective. Can you believe that, Barry? I can't believe Even though he's married to Hugh Grant, living on the Upper West Side of New York. I mean, was that not one of the weirdest inserts so with Hugh Grant answering the door and yelling off screen? So clearly, they picked up Hugh Grant for a day. Right. We're just going to shoot you for like six hours. And yeah. then we're going to put, you know, 
uh, uh, what's his name uh, in the in the bathtub with some like duckies or something. I'm like, this is, I mean, talk about. <laughs> I just don't understand. I'm like, man. So like, he's not even a balanced human being that can't function in regular society. I'm like, so basically, everybody's just worthless. Like nobody like deals with their pain, suffering, whatever. Just everybody's selfish. I'm like, oh, what a happy-go-lucky movie we're watching. <laughs> And it was yeah. funny. It's over Christmas. My sister and her family, they loved Knives Out. And they were telling me I did not admit that I watched this and didn't like it because I wanted to keep Christmas a, a happy go lucky place. Sure. But they absolutely love. They're just like, these are my, like, I love these movies. And I'm like, I, like, I, I, it's not worth it's not worth jeopardizing family relationships. But I'm like, I couldn't disagree with you more that I I don't I don't understand. But I'm 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 OK letting people enjoy what they enjoy. I'm glad that they like. I mean, them. do your thing. Yeah, yeah. look, if, if you like it, like it. But like, yeah, it, let's not let's is... not let's not convince ourselves that this is good. It's not. <laughs> yes, let's not, not convince ourselves. I watch movies yeah. that are not good that are enjoying, but I don't tell them that they're good. I just say I enjoy. Yes, it. that's that's an excellent point. There's yeah. a difference between enjoying something and recognizing that it's good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, because to me. I mean, it's, I don't, I don't understand the appeal of this sort of thing. And especially in this way, um, you know, like, if, I mean, technically, you know, one of, one of my favorite movies of all time is a murder mystery. I mean, I don't think you'd ever describe it that way, but Zodiac, right? It's a murder mystery. I love this shit. And I, I beat about it all the time. I'm all into it, but it's just like, this sort of I, I i find this type of movie and this movie in particular and knives out to be the same way to be insulting and insipid and insidious because of the sort of poison pill that it carries within it that people cheer you know particularly knives out the way that went about its sort of racial politics but this movie is the same way and the other part that really bugs me is like, it, it's so, it's attempting to be, and actually succeeds in being very of the moment, you know? So the Andrew Tate character, the the uh, Birdie influencer character, the Elon Musk character, et cetera, et cetera, on and on. Those characters in real life aren't even remotely interesting. Like, I, I don't want to spend two minutes on Twitter with Andy. I don't want, that means I don't want to spend two hours and 20 minutes in a movie theater with him either. Same thing with like Elon Musk. Like everywhere you turn is Elon Musk. This people either hate him and they love him. He's doing this, he's doing that. I don't care about Elon Musk at all. Like get us to Mars, dude, go for it. God bless you. I don't give a shit. And like, all of that stuff feels so of the moment. It fe this feels like some caricature argument between like, you know, some like 20 somethings on Twitter or something. And I'm just like, I, this is so not interesting to me. And it's also not satisfying because these, these aren't actual real sort of debates where you're like, oh, you know what? The men's right movements has some interesting qualities to it as opposed to like oh yeah that men's rights guys he's basically he, he's a he's a cuckold who's you know uh and, and a pimp uh, pimping out his girlfriend to try and get uh 
more influence, you know, on, online or whatever. And it's like, well, what, what is that? That's not a person. You know what I mean? Like, what, what are we doing? You, you know, the Elon Musk dude, uh, Miles, he's just across the board ridiculous. Right? You know that from the get-go. When you meet him, you're like, okay, this guy's just a, a ridiculous moron. And, like, he's wealthy and he's corrupt and he's disgusting, but he's also stupid. And it's like... Well, that That's the part to me that is weird because... That, exactly. I, I don't know enough about Elon Musk, and I know that some of the arguments against him is he comes from, like, wealthy parents, and, you know, so he kind of kind of falls into these, you know, having money to back all the stuff. But when you're a billionaire going against other billionaires going against stuff like you can't just be dumber than a box of rocks and accidentally find success like that that gets sorted out really quick and edward norton's character miles literally the more you get to know him you're like how does he even like hire a contractor to build the glass onion house like right. i don't i don't feel like he would ever be able to execute and be fastidious enough and push back and yell at them to get what he wanted. Like he's much too timid and pathetic. And so I don't even believe the stereotypes of what's there. You're like, well, this doesn't, you know, he couldn't control his friend group. He, could, he couldn't control anybody. Like there's literally, they, there's never a sign of him being like charismatic or, you know, he literally is just giving people a billion dollars to shut them up. And it's just the sheer amount of money can just overtake his, you know, his, his weaknesses it's just like, hey, we all know that people like Elon Musk are idiots and worthless. So let's not address it anymore. Just go with me on this. And that's that's the equivalent of what he's telling the audience. You're like, boy, yeah, I can, and, but it's not very interesting. And he's so dumb that he pulls off this elaborate scam, right? And and this elaborate murder, frankly, right? He, that's how dumb he is. He, he gets this all of this stuff done and like all these things. And it's like, well, he's either stupid or he isn't. So what's, what's the deal. And then like the whole, just the mechanics of the, the, the case in this of like, Oh, she has, it, it's this napkin. And I'm like, who cares? You lost the court case. You're going to walk into court. What an appeal? Because by the way, you, you can't just sue them again. Right. That's not how it works. And you're going to come in. Oh, this napkin is from that restaurant. OK. So what? <laughs> right? And by That's the way, this time, every single life. person that was under oath is going to change and be the opposite. Right. And, and there's and not going to be themselves up to perjury. Yes, yeah. Whole I mean, thing. And so you're just like, oh, uh, OK, that's uh, whatever. But then like the whole fuel thing that yeah. is like. Oh, it's like methane. It's going to blow everything up. And then when they use it and it blows up, nobody gets hurt. Yeah, I know. Like it wasn't real. It, again, wasn't based in real life. It was just like, it was like a Scooby-Doo thing where Edward Norton comes out with some ash on his face and his hair is a little puffy. He's like, woo, right. that was crazy. And you're like, well, it's, they're like, it's, it'll be like the Hindenburg. And I'm like, yeah. hmm, I remember seeing videos of the Hindenburg went a little bit different than this. Yeah. <laughs> a lot differently, a lot differently. You know, so it's just it's it's just a movie of inanities that I, I again I find it so insulting when a movie treats its audience like that, like treats them so disrespectfully and so like they're so stupid, like none of it matters. And it's just that's the whole thing with this movie. None of it matters. And so if none of it matters, what are we doing? Why are we watching? 
Why, why would we engage with this? And of course you don't, you don't engage with it. You don't engage it's just with something it. that happens in front of you. And you're it, like, it is something oh, okay. that will waste two hours of people's time. That is non-offensive that then they'll be like, Oh, I'm glad I escaped life for a little bit. That is exactly what this movie is and nothing more, nothing less. Yeah. Yeah. And if your it, brain it, tries it, to engage with it at all, it'll make you angry. But if you can shut off your brain, it'll just well, be like, you know, the opiate. Yes. Of course, that's my problem. Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that I watch this movie and I see, you know, you read between the lines and you sort of see the subtext and you're like, oh, yeah, this is not good, man. This is not good. And if it were flipped, if, if like there were some underlying racial animus towards some other group, be it black people or lgbtq or 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 jews or you know asians whatever that would be equally if not more horrifying but like people would would be receptive to hearing you say that to them but when you say like oh there's this weird sort of virulent anti-white sentiment in these movies they're just like oh stop it (laughs) like you know that that doesn't matter it's like oh okay it sounds good but you know it doesn't matter what group it is that you're singling out and sort of uh, scapegoating in whether it's an art or god forbid in real life it never ends well right it just doesn't yeah history teaches us that that if like there's some group that it's okay to sort of uh belittle and denigrate and and scapegoat that that's not gonna work out well sometimes it doesn't work out for that group sometimes it doesn't work out for the group that's scapegoating right there's there's something called backlash and whiplash and all that so that's my problem with this movie i I don't understand the appeal but thankfully ryan johnson got 400 million dollars and from what i understand daniel craig is is gonna make close to a hundred million dollars with this knives out business I mean, considering how terrible he is in these movies, that's astonishing. I mean, goodness gracious. Uh, yikes. Yikes, buddy. Oh. But besides that, you like the movie, right? Yeah. Other than that, Miss Lincoln, how was the play? Um, <laughs> um, you know what? It was slow. It yeah. was two hours and 20 minutes, and I didn't like the ending. So that's how I felt about it. Um, so yeah. 2024 and, and he... is when the next production predicted knives out three is uh going to be coming out and the only confirmed cast is that of the daniel craig the daniel craig yeah the well now he can't be 007 anymore so now it's the no he can't daniel craig wow can you imagine thinking that like okay i'm gonna have to downgrade you know i was making whatever 50 million dollars a year being bond and it's like (laughs) hey i can act like a southern tool and i can make two to three times as much money as bond and have a franchise that i'm in yeah like that like i'm sure like his agents were like well <laughs> we're all gonna have to take a couple notches out of the belt and kind of peel back a little bit and he's like no i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna make more money now and you're like whoa yeah so daniel craig's like hey I, you mean i can be in a franchise where i'm i'm not gonna break my ankle doing a stunt and have to bust my ass every day on set i can just have a really bad accent walk around wearing you know uh you know nice costumes and things great hundred million dollars good lord oh barry what are we doing what is coming of this world well i mean i'm not surprised because of the fact that like this has been the quality of movies and rain john ryan johnson every like looper was his best movie and 
it is like it's not that great of a movie and everything else he's done has been a disaster and so why he gets kind of the carte blanche you know here's here's the key you know keys to the castle you're not going to get good movies now they're giving him money to make money which is working but they're not giving him money to make quality cinema right yes correct and and he lives up to his end of the bargain yeah absolutely (laughs) he does not make quality cinema oh dear so uh all right glass onion we've talked about it it's happened we we uh, this movie the fact that people love it depresses me even more <laughs> uh yeah right any any uh final thoughts on glass onion berry i mean if you like good movies this is not for you if you want to check out for two hours and you don't think at all this might be enjoyable enough to watch for free on netflix there you go. My final thoughts are this. If you like Glass Onion and if you like Knives Out, um, you're an idiot. That's all. <laughs> yeah. That's all. You're I'm gonna probably say. not going to like a lot of our reviews. Is what that's what I'm going to say. You will not be a listener of this podcast for long because you're going to feel personally attacked. Um, yeah. I, I literally want to fight you if you like these movies. I want to <laughs> I want to fight you. We can schedule it. We'll get in a ring. I'm not talking street fight. We can we can have a stand up fight. Um, yeah. Not a fan. Not a fan, man. And just the fact that, like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, National Board of Review named this one of the best films of 2022, which says an awful lot about 2022 and the National Board of Review. Let's just put it this way. <laughs> if it comes down to a two-leg horse between Glass Onion... A two-leg horse? <laughs> versus versus uh, Top Gun Maverick for Best Picture of the Year, which one would you cast your vote for? Well, a two-leg horse would fall over number one and and probably be eaten by coyotes i would say uh, of those two movies um oh jesus barry why do you do this to me i was gonna try and just come up with an answer (laughs) i I felt my my like chest tighten i love it i love it throw one out um i would say uh top gun maverick yeah i think that's still the the front runner so i think yeah i think we're fine yeah Oh, yeah, yeah. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for tuning in. We appreciate it. And uh, thanks for listening to us rant and rave against, against Glass Onion. We appreciate <laughs> it. And we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening. Peace. Should we tell people that they your agent's been contacted about being in uh, Knives Out 3? I'm excited for it. I'm really excited. I mean, well, they, they asked me to be... Uh, daniel craig's dialect coach oh perfect so i'm really really excited because we're gonna escalate things (laughs) and make them even bigger and less realistic i'm foghorn leg and i married forrest gump here we are i can't believe it oh yeah yeah good lord barry why do we do this to ourselves it's a good question (laughs) it is a good question (laughs) oh golly All right, man.